morning, church. Anybody want to follow that? I don't. I just, just beautiful. I love the, hey, mom. <laughs> That's my favorite moment. I, I don't know where we lost that, but I love that the kids don't care. There's my mom. Hey, mom. How you doing? Shout out. All right. Uh, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, and while you're doing that, uh, if you're visiting Christ Church today because you have a beautiful grandchild, niece or nephew uh, up here on stage, we are so grateful you're here. My name's Mark, and I'm one of the ministers here on staff. And uh, we're glad you joined us. We're in the middle of this series. And while you're turning to Luke uh, chapter 1, I want to share just a little bit of family business with you to encourage you. I know some of you come to the 1115 service, and you may also come to the 945 service. We want to just remind you, during our 945 service, if the... It's too many people for you. You're not into the biggest crowd. Uh, across our parking lot, we have a student ministry center, and we have a simulcast service that takes place over there at 945. Uh, it's a live band. It's, it's music together. The, the sermon, most of you end up watching the screen anyway. It's over there on the screen. And we really encourage you, if the big crowd isn't your thing on a Sunday morning, to go on over to the student center at 945, and there's plenty of room over there. And uh, we joked, uh, there's also an 8% tithe for the first three months. So... Uh, <laughs> Uh, an introductory offer. Feel free to participate in that. Maybe that last part wasn't true. I'm not sure. Uh, second thing, we want to get some dates uh, in your mind. Uh, December 24th at 5 and 6.30, we're having our candlelight Christmas Eve service in this room. I uh, encourage you to come, invite your friends and family and neighbors, and come uh, open that evening, either 5 or 6.30. Uh, come and be a part of that and open the evening with just a time of worship of Jesus and remembrance and celebration. The other thing we want you to put on your calendars is that it's going to seem like a long ways away. It's January 19th, and it's going to seem like a distance away, but once uh, the Christmas holiday hits us and everything's going right now, uh, it's going to be a blink and we're in January, and we're all aware of that. On the 19th, Hope City Church is having another information night. That's the church we're planning in South Joplin. And if you're intrigued at all about going there or helping get that launched and serving in that capacity, we're having another information night at 5 o'clock on January 19th. And we really encourage you to get that on your calendars before it gets filled up with something else. That's a Sunday night. And uh, if you go down there just to find out what's going on, we're, you don't have to commit that night. There's going to be no high pressure. We're really just casting vision to see what, who God is drawing from our church. Our goal is to have 300 people from Christ Church of Orinoco invest in that church for the first year and launch it. And God may be calling you. And if you want to have questions answered or how you can get involved, then that January 19th would be the best opportunity for you to come and just hear what's going on and uh, figure out how to participate. The video that was shown as the children were exiting the stage is a, is a video that makes sense to me in light of our series, The First Christian. Uh, because when you look at it, we love our superheroes and our celebrities. We love the big names historically, and, and we like to put you know, Billy Graham or Mother Teresa up as these uh, profound, uh, prominent Christians. And yet, this whole series on the first Christian is a speculative series about what it really means to follow Jesus. And so the point that I want to make is that you won't find biblically that God uses superheroes and that God uses celebrities. I think what you'll find in Scripture is God uses common people because he's an uncommon God. He uses a teenage girl named Mary. He uses a, a criminal, a convict, running for his freedom in Moses. He uses a 75-year-old man who's at the end of his life named Abraham. He uses a young shepherd boy named David. I could go on and on about how God takes these unspectacular common people and does amazing things with them because he's an uncommon God. The way he's an uncommon God is shown in his love, his mercy, and his pursuit of relationships. 
study any other world religion and the gods of the other religions, they're not a God like our God. They're a God that expects things from his people, not a God who gives things to his people. It's not a welcoming God, not a God of pursuit. If you want to live under a God of another religion, you pursue it. You have to please it. In Christianity, God pursues you. And in light of that, what I want us to understand is when we talk about who is the first Christian, last week I nominated Mary. I'm not willing to to fight and say that Mary is, but biblically, she's the first person I can find in Scripture who placed her life and faith in Jesus, which I think is a very clear definition of what a believer is. It's not just someone who agrees with Jesus, but someone who puts their life in his hands and their destiny in in his hands. And so I nominated last week because Mary was a person who, even though she saw the circumstances seemed impossible to her, she still believed in God enough to trust him. And that's the first step. We talked about the decision Mary had to make. She had to go from having doubts to to being confused but still willing to submit to stepping out completely and being useful in the hands of God. And so today I want to talk a little bit uh, differently about this. I I don't believe, and I want to be clear about this, I don't believe Mary was the first person saved or the first believer in God. None of those things are true. I don't think Mary was perfect. I think Mary was a common girl who had amazing faith. And I think she's amazing. And I mean that word by its intent. Amazing young lady. To trust God against all common sense and impossibilities. And so when we look at what it means to be a Christian and those who trust Jesus, the Christmas story is not sentimentality. The Christmas story is a reality that changes who we are and and what we're all about. When Mary was told by the angels she was going to have a child, she, I don't know if she panicked, uh, but she left her community to go be with her cousin where maybe she could hide out because they would not have accepted virgin birth. None of that would have made sense to them. She went to Elizabeth's house and when she entered Elizabeth's house, Elizabeth proclaimed, the Holy Spirit has told me, the baby leapt in my womb. You're carrying God's son. And Mary broke into a beautiful song of faith. It's what we're looking this whole series over called the Magnificent, which is the Latin for the first words of her song that she proclaims her faith in God. Listen to what she sang. Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my soul rejoices in God, my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones, and he has brought down princes from their throne and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful, for he made his promise to our ancestors to Abraham and his children forever. The song that she sings is powerful because Mary, and and we don't believe she was educated to the same degree theologically as a Jewish man would have been. So what she learned, she learned around her home. She was a very innocent young lady, very, very poor, and probably came from a very inconsequential land. She didn't have a lot going for her in the eyes of the world, which, once again, 
just proclaims that our uncommon God loves to use common people, not superheroes, not celebrities. And this young lady breaks into a song. It's not a song about her ability. It's a song that reveals her God. It's, it's what N.T. Wright says. N.T. Wright says that each one of us carries the echo of a voice. It speaks about justice. It speaks about wisdom. It speaks about righteousness. And where does that come from? It comes from creation in all of us. Wright says that that echo of a voice leads us to believe there's a better life than the one we're living. There's a better life than the circumstances we're in. Reminds me of a story that I was uh, coerced to read in Bible college by my lit professor, who when he found out, because I was dumb enough to say in class I didn't like to read fiction, assigned me a fiction book. It was by a Scottish preacher and poet named George MacDonald. And the, the story that he wrote was called The Princess and the Goblin. It was a pretty incredible story for fiction, but it was really good. And he made me read it and report on it. And what's interesting in this particular book, in this story that he tells, is there's the protagonist, the, the hero of the story is a young girl named Irene who's eight years old. And while this house that she lives in, she discovers an attic. And when she goes into a secret part of the attic, she discovers for the very first time her fairy grandmother. And she would go up to find her grandmother, and sometimes she wouldn't find her, and other times she would, and she was perplexed as why she could be there one time and not another. And the fairy grandmother appeared to her and said, I know you've been looking for me, and sometimes you don't find me here because sometimes I'm not here. So she gave uh, Irene this ring, and she said, there's, there's a string, a, a piece of twine, a, a thread that's attached to the ring, and I'm going to hold the ball of, of thread on this other end. And wherever you have the ring, whenever you need to find me, whenever you're worried and you need to find me, take the ring off and put it under your pillow. And then reach your hand to the ring and follow the thread. And the fairy grandmother said to, to her, the, the thread will take you places that will surprise you and it, it'll be a roundabout way. It won't make sense to you and it will take you places you often don't want to go. But if you follow the thread, you'll find me. A few days later, she's in her room and it's howling storm outside and she hears the goblins that she fears. They're growling in the hallway, about to enter her room, and she takes her ring off, and she reaches down and grabs the thread. She can't see it, but she knows it's there, and she begins to follow, and it leads her out her bedroom window, which frightens her because it's dark and stormy outside. She begins to follow the thread, and it takes her uh, through this forest into this cave where all the children say the goblins live. And she's about to enter the cave and she reaches to follow the thread back to her house and the thread doesn't go backwards, it only goes forwards. She can't find it retreating, she can only find it following. So she enters into the cave and there's this stone wall of, of rocks that are stacked and she hears crying behind it. And she listens and she hears crying, it sounds like crying of a child and she begins to, to move the rocks to try to see what's back there and she gets a, a hole big enough that she can pop her head in and she sees her friend Curdy. Curdy's been taken by the goblins into the cave and, and locked behind this stone wall and Curdy's a mess and so they both begin to move the rocks and they, they crawl Curdy out and Curdy begins to run home and she turns back and she yells back, come with me, come with me and Irene says, no, I, I, the thread goes in the cave and if I want to find my fairy grandmother, I, I have to go where the thread goes. So she climbs through the hole in the rocks and she begins to follow the thread into her worst nightmare, the darkness of the cave of the goblins. We'll stop the story there because that's Mary's story. And some of you are going, no, tell the story by the book. Um, it's Mary's story because Mary had to follow the thread, didn't she? 
God said to this 13, 14, 15-year-old girl, you're pregnant. No one in your community is going to understand. You're going to be labeled the rest of your life this. You don't have money. And, and in fact, it was even brought up last hour. Someone came up to me and said, isn't it interesting that Mary ran to her cousin's house instead of her mother's house? She probably didn't go to her mother's house because her mother wouldn't have taken the news well. And it would have cost her her life. She followed the thread. It took her places she didn't want to go. took her into darkness that she couldn't see. She didn't always understand the thread. We know that about her life later, that she sometimes wondered if Jesus had lost his mind. She followed the thread. And in fact, in McDonald's book, it's beautiful. He says that uh, the reason she followed the thread was because her, grandma, her fairy grandmother was trustworthy. Did you catch that? You follow the thread when you trust the person who's leading you to themselves. You see, it's... The beauty of it is, Mary says in her song, for he was mindful of the humble state of his servant. She said, he was aware of me. He pursued me. He knew what I needed and he brought it to me. And it says for he was mindful, but actually the word in the original language is because he was mindful. And this is the moment of clarity. Mary goes from just being a young lady who had potential to being a young lady who knew the God of all potential. She was aware of who God was. And because of that, she could follow the thread because she knew her God was trustworthy. And she sings her song. She says, my soul and spirit is moved because I see what God is doing for me. I want to give you three things that Mary declares in her song about God. And I believe it is so important that Christmas will be misunderstood without these three things, if I can be so bold. First one is this. Mary understood that God is able. She understands that he is able. I don't think anybody in the room today will deny that. I don't think anybody's going to go, oh, he's not, he's weak. No, no one would do that. But there's a difference between believing he's able and living out his ability. And Mary does something interesting here. Humanistically, it's easy for us as people in our culture to say that, you know, at this time of year, we will live in peace. Peace on earth and goodwill to all men. And so we believe that the meaning of Christmas is to live at peace. And we can do that for two weeks. Right? You can go to office parties with people you would never hang out with elsewhere for one night. You can go have family reunions with people that you only see at Thanksgiving and Christmas. You can buy presents for people you don't care for. We all are capable of acting peaceful. But that's not what the meaning of Christmas is. It's not us asking like, or acting like there's peace. That's the result of Christmas. The meaning of Christmas is a God who pursues you and I. The meaning is not peace. The meaning is that God pursues us. The result is peace. And it's not a fake peace. It's not a present peace. It's not a holiday peace. It's a peace that means I can love and honor all men. I can live to the benefit of others rather than myself. So the world says Christmas is a time that we all just get along. They even stop warfare during the seasons of Christmas. And some of the most egregious acts of war are noted in history for moments when attacks were made on Christmas Day when the other army called a timeout. But see, humanistically, Christmas is peace. And I'm here to tell you today, Mary understood what the meaning of Christmas was, and it wasn't peace. It was a God pursuing her. And she said, because my God has seen my humble state, I'll trust him. And then Mary says in her song, the things about God that we can celebrate that makes Christmas meaningful. For the mighty one has done great things. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those. 
she tells us three things about God that I want to review with this this morning. The, The meaning of Christmas is it shows me who God is, not who I am. It shows me who God is and what he's doing, not what I'm doing. The meaning of Christmas results in a peace in my life because I have a God who's got this thing together. See, Mary tells us he's mighty. Luke 1.49, the mighty one has done a great thing. Some of your translations say the powerful one. But it's intriguing to me that what's noted here is that she identifies that she is not able to have a child if God does not produce a child in her because she has never been with a man. The Holy Spirit said, I'm going to make, or the Holy Spirit said, or the angel said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's going to make you pregnant, and she said, that's impossible. I've never been with the man. And the angel said, nothing is impossible with God. And at that moment in time, Mary has to make a choice. Is her God mighty? Now, here's where I'm a little bit perplexed. This might seem real simple for you and I. There are people that will sit here today who say, I have no problem with the virgin birth. And then there will be people in this room who say, this is one of those moments that I can't really invest in this because I don't believe in the virgin birth. And those of us who do believe in the virgin birth look at those others and think, well, it's your loss. But just because you say you believe in the virgin birth doesn't mean you do. Some of us believe in the virgin birth because we're lazy in our exposition. We really haven't thought much about it. We just said, someone told me, I can live with it. And what you're really saying is, it's not that big of a deal. And I'm here to tell you, it's an incredible big deal. Here's why. If he's not born of a virgin, he's not the Messiah. Church, you with me? You need to talk to me a little bit this morning. The virgin birth is not just a color on a page of a storybook. The virgin birth was prophesied. And if it's not true, he's not God. And if he's not God, we're jacked up. Life as we know it is a free-for-all. And you better enjoy what you got while you're here because there's no more. The rest of it is punishment and suffering. So when we say, I, I don't really need the virgin birth, you need it more than you know. Because it was prophesied as a testimony to who he was. And it's important. It's beyond the importance we place on it. It's incredibly important. And so, why does that matter to us? Because your belief in the virgin birth affects every other decision to make the rest of your life. Because if you can live without the virgin birth, then you're probably living every day without a mighty God. Because what you're saying is, God couldn't do that. So how are you going to face cancer? How are you going to face unemployment? How how or why are you going to tell the truth at work? How are you going to believe that God can protect your child when they're not under your watch? You see, all of our concerns are always on our ability to provide for ourselves. But Mary proclaimed, it's not my ability to provide for myself. I believe I have a mighty God. I ask you, do you have a mighty God? Because Mary said, I've never been with a guy. I can't be pregnant. God says, if I tell you I'll make you pregnant, I'll make you pregnant. And we go to work and we say, I can't tell the truth because I'll get fired. Do you believe in a mighty God or not? I can't do my taxes honestly. I need the rebate. Or can you believe in a mighty God or not? I, I can't do certain things. You can't. That's why we need a mighty God. And Mary's song says, I believe he's mighty. She said, I've never been with a man, but I'm pregnant. Well, Mary, how do you know you're pregnant? Because Elizabeth, when I walked in the room, said, my baby just said, that's God. I got evidence. I'm going to believe because he's mighty. Then she says another amazing thing about God. She understands he will. 
Now, this is huge for me. Not just that he can, but that he will. And he will for his sake. The reason she believes that God would give her the baby to bring into this lifetime is not only is he able, but he's, he, he's holy. And his holiness is about him, not about us. I don't know about you, but when I grew up, the word holiness, I always translated it perfection. And so I always tapped out. Because the Bible says in 1 Peter, be holy because I am holy. I'm like, I'm out, I'm done. I haven't had a holy hour my entire life. If I have 55 minutes, I'm on a streak. I struggle all the time against the flesh and the spirit. And it's not because God's spirit isn't powerful. It's because I have a divided heart. And I'm struggling to be holy. Because holiness doesn't mean perfection. Holiness means undivided. In fact, I learned recently that when Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, he's actually talking about holiness. Because blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall, anybody? See God. Isn't that amazing? If you want to see God, you become holy like God is holy. And the word holiness means undivided, undeterred. This is what we celebrated about Mary last week. She was willing to believe in God when it would cost her every other thing in her life. And Mary says that God is doing this because he's holy. Here's what this means to me. We live in a world that says it is okay to be 50% God and 50% world. Because if you're 50% God, at least you're trying. If you're 50% God, at least you're giving good effort. Christianity is not about our effort. It's about Christ's effort. And what does that deserve in response? So in a world that says it's okay to be involved sexually in things that God says is not good for you, and the world says, oh, that's old-fashioned, that's old hat, that doesn't matter anymore. God says, really? Have I forgotten what's right? Is what I created no longer under my control and power? You see, we live in a world that's telling us all the time. We see it, that ethnic divisions are all over the place, racial divisions are all over the place, and we live in a world that says that's okay because it just helps us understand one another more. And I'm here to tell you that the world is telling you over and over that a lack of holiness is okay, but with God, it is not. And it can never be because he is holy. He is undivided and undeterred. He does not buy into the world and buy into mankind's excuses. God looked down and he saw the need for holiness in this world that had been abandoned and he sent his son. In fact, listen to what he says to Mary. The Holy Spirit will overshadow you and you will conceive and that holy thing you conceive, that holy thing you conceive, will be the son of God. So God did what he did with Jesus Because he is unable and can never get used to sin. God can't look at our sin and say, oh, those knuckleheads, I'll just forget about it. No, he looked down on our sin and said, it is devastating them. And I will pursue them and I will send the Holy One for them. And through his holiness, he will redeem them and he will sanctify them and he will establish holiness in them. It's not minor. Not only is he able, but he's willing. And his willingness comes from his need to end sin's influence on us. So practically, should we not live differently knowing that an undivided heart cannot tolerate sin and will not excuse it? Then she gives us the third piece. She says in that one line of her song, she understands he must for our sake. That he must for our sake. Let me explain what I've just done here, what I see Mary doing rather. The way I'm explaining it to you is this. To follow that thread, she understands that he is able. 
And he's willing, because of his holiness, to put an end to sin's influence in our lives because he cannot tolerate it. And he doesn't want us to tolerate it either. Then she comes down and says this third piece, which brings Christmas all together. And it makes Christmas, it gives it its measure and its meaning. She said that he, he must for our sake. Verse 50. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. So she told us three things about God. He's the mighty one, he's the holy one, and he's the merciful one. I believe, as a pastor, in the conversations I get to have with people week in and week out, most of us in this room have the God of the first two, which is the reason we don't have joy in our lives is because we don't understand the third part of God. Here's what I mean. You believe that God is able and God is holy, so you fear him because you're fearful of punishment, you're fearful of a lack of grace, and you're fearful that one day God's just going to have enough of you. But you've forgotten the third thing that Mary celebrates. He is merciful. And his mercy is for our benefit. Because it not only reveals God to us, it separates God from every other God. The gods of the rest of the world, they're not merciful. They're demanding and they're intolerant. Our God is merciful. He doesn't tolerate sin. He's provided a means by which his mercy can overcome our sin. You see... For many of us, the mighty one, the holy one, and the merciful one will define for us what the meaning of Christmas is. Timothy Keller said uh, something in a seminar that I heard on uh, audio tape. He said something that just blew my mind and explained this concept to me very well. And I'm going to use a business example. I'm not a businessman. It make more sense to some of you than even me, but hopefully it grabs all of us. And I, I want you to interact with me here a little bit, okay? So I'm going to ask some questions, and you can answer in church. God won't kill you. If, if a company comes in, some successful businessmen come in and they see a business that's not doing well, in fact, it's bankrupt in every bit of its possibilities, and they analyze the company and believe that it has the opportunity to get back on its feet and do well, if that, if that group of businessmen who buy that, that leveraged buyout, they come in and they assume ownership of the company, is it common for those new owners to look at the old owners and decide whether or not the mismanagement and lack of productivity and success is based on the managers? You can shake your head yes. That's an easy one. So if the new owners look and realize that the lack of growth and success in the company is based on the old owners, then what do they do? <laughs> you get third hour's awake. First hour's like, pray for them? No, no. <laughs> they walk in and they go, gone. You're out. You haven't been successful, I'm moving you out. But that's what happens when your God is just able and holy. He looks down on you and says, you have squandered opportunities, resources, and talent. I'm done with you. But we have a God, praise the Lord, who's merciful. Our God looks down at our endeavors and says, you are bankrupt in every definition. But I'm not going to get rid of you. I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to take responsibility, it's all going to be at my expense, and I'm going to train you how to do what you should have done from day one. I'm going to give you the opportunity to learn what real success is, to, work, to learn what real life is, and you will always be indebted to me because I love you, I don't get rid of you. Doesn't that sound like our God? I think Keller has defined for us the difference between a holy God and a holy God who shows loving mercy. And he's given every one of us this opportunity. If you have just a powerful and holy God, you have reason to fear. If you have a powerful, holy, and merciful God, your fear is in disappointing him out of love, 
not out of anger. And this is what Mary knew. This uneducated, possibly illiterate teenage girl in this desperate little town of nowhere finds herself pregnant with no excuse except faith. And she grabbed the thread and she walked it. I think she's amazing. How about you? Because she took the first steps of following Jesus and she had to diaper him and feed him and teach him to walk and talk all along the line. I'm going to ask those of you that are going to serve us this morning by offering the Lord's Supper in our time of offering, if you'd make your way to the back and prepare yourself for that. Because what I want to talk to you about is the efforts that Jesus made that night that he was arrested, betrayed, falsely accused, and murdered. He knew of the steps that Mary took. On the cross, he looked down at Mary suffering there, and he said to John, behold your, your mother, and woman, behold your son. He took care of his mom. She, she wasn't perfect. She wasn't God. She was an incredible young lady with a lot of faith in her son. And on the cross, he did for her what she needed him to do. And on the cross, he did for you and me what we needed him to do. Amen? So on that night, he took a loaf of bread and a glass of wine. He broke the bread and he said, this is my body. And little did they know that he would be broken within 18 hours. He took a glass of wine. He said, this is my blood of the covenant. I offer it to you to cleanse you. The holiness of God in the cup, the mercy of God in the bread, the ability of God in all of it. And so as this morning, as these emblems are handed to you, these symbols, there's nothing special about this bread or this juice. It symbolizes to us something so far beyond it, so beautiful that if you're a believer in Jesus, and I don't mean that you simply acknowledge he was, but if you're willing to follow the thread into places that you don't want to go, into the darkness of uncertainty, because you know that the one who's leading you there is trustworthy, then we invite you to join us, no matter where you come from, whether you're visiting or you're just returning or you're here every week. In community, we're going to take this bread and drink this cup and proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Because here's what we know. Our God is mighty, and that's how Jesus came through the might and power of God. Our God is holy, and that's the reason for Jesus dying on the cross. And our God is merciful, which was the reason Jesus gave up the best parts of being God to live here on earth for over 30 years so that we would understand our God is not just powerful. Our God is lovingly powerful. All to our salvation and hope. Let's pray.